0: Kyle, welcome to Millennial Manhood, how's it going? I'm good, thanks for having me. No worries, I'm really excited. I think your uh, your story is interesting. We connected uh, actually via LinkedIn and uh, chatted a little bit on the phone and I thought uh, some of the things you were talking about were really fascinating. So uh, for people listening, I got Kyle Gillette with me. Kyle, uh, give the folks a 10,000 foot view of who you are. Sure, so yeah, I am. Uh, I live in Washington State. And I'm a, a
1: husband and a father. I've got three little girls, ages three, six, and eight. And uh, we moved out here in 2014 because we were living in the most beautiful city in the world and decided to move to the rain. <laughs> <laughs> That's you No, know, my, my family is, uh, they, they live in the Central Valley of California. My dad's an orange farmer. And wow. so we live in San Luis Obispo, which allegedly is the happiest city in America. I, they, they have bags and everything to talk about that. But um, <clears throat> we moved here because we were trying to decide we we're gonna move closer to my family or move closer to uh, my wife's family. And so we moved up here and we just jumped into it. I, I didn't have a job when we moved. I had quit a, a fantastic men's mentoring job where I worked there for 10 years, did live in mentoring, and then also did uh, overseeing of the program for about three years. Um, and so we, I quit that kind of broke my heart to quit it but I knew it was best for my family to move up here and it's been, it's been great. Uh, they're by cousins, they're by grandparents and aunts and uncles so it's been a really good move.
0: That's interesting. I love how you said the happiest city in America. It's like I love when, uh, when schools and cities and places just make these ridiculous claims like Arizona State number one in innovation. It's like What does that even mean? How do, you, how do you even quantify that but put it on bags apparently. Um, yeah,
1: right. Hey, if it's written down, it counts, right?
0: Yeah, right. Uh, th- <laughs> I, should, I should just start doing that. Millennial Manhood, number one podcast and what? <laughs> um, well,
1: you have all these number one book, you know, number one bestsellers on Amazon or whatever. Yep. And there's like 700 categories. So people yep. claim that they can make you a number one bestseller. Well, it's because there's so many categories. So of course, and it's for like a day or two. Yep. It's, it, it's funny.
0: Well, and the, and the dirty little secret in the publishing industry and the music industry as well is you want to know how you end up being a New York Times bestselling author? You buy enough copies for yourself to become oh, a New York Times shady. bestselling author. Co- oh, Isn't dude, it shady? is. So I've been looking a lot into the publishing industry and, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, Millennial Man had essentially becoming a book. And it is so disgusting. It is the same thing with Amazon. You, you basically buy your way into being a best-selling author. But anyway, that's, a, that's another conversation. So talk to me about this men's mentoring program. So what was that like?
1: Yeah. So the, back, the long backstory, I guess, is when I was, uh, let's see, 2021, 20, I was just getting ready to finish up college. And my major was kinesiology. And I got invited to... Well, yeah, I got invited to go on a, a missions trip to India to go <clears throat> to go there with a group of people. There was about, about uh, let's see, like, I think 19 or 22 of us, something like that. And I was wrapping up school, but I was behind. I'd missed a class. And so the previous quarter, I had to take 20-something units. And then the next quarter, the, my last quarter of college, I had to take, like, 22 units. Good Lord. And, and I'm not i 'm not a great student I, I'm a, I would say i 'm a great learner but i 'm not a great student anyway. long story short, I get invited to go on this trip and i 'm panicking about what to do with my my college career afterwards and what to do with um, job future yada yada. So I end up going on this trip and I come back from it and A guy named John was on the trip with me, and we ended up becoming good friends and he worked for the men 's mentoring program. He was the pet resort manager so uh, the way the program works is they have they run three businesses to support it. They run a pet resort. They run a a dog training facility that that trains dogs to become, um, I guess, helpers for lack of a better term for people with PTSD. And then they they run a uh, they they sell cars. Right, they'll get cars mm. on auction and sell them. And so I got invited to be a part of the program. And there's two people that at the time lived in the facility with the guys that were lost and off track. So the people that came in were 18 and 25 year olds that were struggling with their life. Uh, they typically didn't have a great job. They had drugs and alcohol history, or they had um, parental struggles, or they just were lost in general, didn't know what to do with themselves. And so we had two people that would move in with the guys and live with them and help them to become, you know, just that life skill stuff, but also um, learn how to have a job learn Mm. how to cook, learn all those things. In the process, there's the, the program had this thing called a life map and it was basically three key questions that we had all the guys answer in six areas of their lives. So the questions are, where am I, where do I want to go? And how do I get there? And those, those three questions are answered through the filter of education, finances, job relationships, emotions, those types of things. And so we would walk them through the process of answering those questions over a six-month period, and then they would leave, the, they would graduate from the program and step on into life. So we, we had guys that would come in with, um, com- I mean, one guy came in that he, he was kind of a little crazy because he would, at his, at his uh, community college, <laughs> he, would, he would go to class and then take off his shirt and just sit in class with his shirt off. Or he would go to the gym and, and, and do that and kind of be, be aggressive and inappropriate in the gym. And he was doing various drugs and in a, in a big struggle. Well, long story short with him, now he after about five years after he finished the program, he ends up becoming the second best welder in the nation. He gets okay. married and he's just like rocking and rolling. Another guy came in and he was a, he was a dumpster fire himself for various reasons. and. Uh, drugs and alcohol struggles, uh, lots of suicide issues. Um, long, he, he ended up starting uh, into a program in artificial intelligence, getting a BS, getting a master's, and now runs an artificial intelligence, an ethical artificial intelligence company. And so just because they figured out those, the answer to those three questions, it was a catalyst for each of them. And there's a bunch of stories, of course, but for those two guys, it was a huge catalyst for them to get their lives on track and to get moving forward in really fantastic and effective ways. And they're both actually married too. Like these guys look, there's no way, there's just no way when they walked into those doors and they stepped in and I'm like, I'm gonna be in this house sleeping in the, in the same house with these guys. And now they're married and they're, and they're happy and they're doing well. So it's an amazingly powerful thing to just ask yourself some really poignant questions.
0: Interesting. So, so what do you think, what was the, Obviously, going into an, an environment that basically forces you into getting your life together just by the people you surround yourself with and, and the things that you learn and, and consistently making progress as a human being. But what was the switch with these people?
1: Honestly, love. We really loved the guys. I still love them. I'm still in contact with them. Uh, not with all of them, because while I was there, there's was about 100 or so guys that went through the program. So, you know, oh. I'm not in contact with all of them, but there's a group of about 10 that I'm often on in contact with. And there's a group of about three that I'm consistently in contact with still. And this was for me, those guys are somewhere between 12 and 16 years ago that that I first was interacting with them. Mm. So we really in the program, we really genuinely loved them and cared about them and spent time with them. It was Christian-based. So there's a lot of prayer and that type of stuff and engaged in it too. Um, But it it was the the consistent discipline of caring about these guys, being in their lives consistently, and, um, you know, allowing them to be messed up and not judging them for that, allowing them to air their dirty laundry, and to be okay with that and and not try to fix them. Um, it, It wasn't about fixing the guys, it was about them just kind of getting their feet and giving them time to do that.
0: Isn't that a little bit depressing, though, when you think about it? You said the the number one thing was love, and you know within humanity, wouldn't it make sense that that's what you get the most from people that you're surrounded by? Yet that's what people were obviously missing in this situation.
1: Yeah, love is a verb, and it's a lot of times people don't know how to act on it. They don't mm-hmm. know what love really is. You have a lot of brokenness in families, and and so if if you all these guys in almost every case, and all you know, hundred of them that I got to to be a part of they had a lot of brokenness in their family. And so they were either never loved by their mom or never loved by their dad or inappropriately loved by their mom or their dad, you know, abuse, that type of stuff. And so love was very distorted for them. And so the more, like in your millennial manhood, the more that we can demonstrate what real genuine relationship looks like, uh, the easier it is to, to pour it back out on other people and to accept it and to reject the stuff that's not genuine. And they had to learn that. Unfortunately, they really had to learn it the hard way. And they most they were younger too, so they didn't know any better.
0: So, so what would you consider a real, genuine relationship?
1: Time, consistent time with one another. Um, I have a I have a group of guys that I hang out with every Tuesday morning at six thirty. We there's, there's three of us, and we meet at a coffee shop. Not, unfortunately, not now, but we've been doing it over. You know. Online. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now you do it over but, Zoom or go to meeting
1: right but uh for for months i mean we were looking back at because we take notes right so we're looking back at the history of our conversations Mm -hmm. and they're over two years old and we're just talking about you know one of the guys is single and he's really broken up about that one of the guys is is crazy in love with his his girlfriend and he wants to get married but he's got they've got complications because she wants to become a doctor Mm -hmm. and then i've got my own situation with kids and and my wife and and we just look through the history of all the changes that have happened. And the thing that stood out the most is we've just been extremely consistent with each other. We've been there for each other through conversation, through outside of that hour-long window, through social interactions, et cetera. And we're just building each other up and uh, spending time in prayer for one another. And just spending purposeful time together has been really, really uh, huge. And so to me, a big piece of love is, is time. And I mean, you can get into, to like the real, you know, kind of the deeper definition that talks about love as a verb, like I've mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love is all those types of things. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that I've looked at it is Kyle is patient. Kyle is kind. Kyle is not jealous. Kyle is not envious. Kyle is not all those things like, Mm, personifying it. can I, yeah, can I say that truthfully about myself that I am patient? Uh, that I am kind, that I am gentle, um, those types of things. And if you can't, that's okay, because now you know it and you can do something about it.
0: Oh, that's that's powerful. I never thought about personifying things like that. That's really cool. Yeah, it, it's, it opened my eyes
1: uh, when I kind of was able to twist it in that direction. That's interesting.
0: Well, okay, so... Let's, let's take a step back to something you said earlier, because I do want to elaborate on this before we go further. You said you were a good learner, but not a good student. What did you mean by that?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, classroom learning. It's okay. So when I went to college, I, I had a fantastic experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I was constantly doing activities, uh, sports, surfing, hiking, frisbee, volleyball. I lived, I lived uh, above Pismo beach. So if your listeners are familiar with Pismo beach, it's one of the longest beaches in the world. Uh, you can actually drive on it. And so we would, we just had a great time. And in that I learned a ton, of course, school, on the other hand, in class was kind of lame because it was all about <laughs> tests. It was all about getting tested. And, you know, I graduated with over a 3.0 or whatever, but I, I still remember going to my physics teacher uh, first year, I think it was first year of physics and I had aced everything in class. I was on time. My homeworks were all A's. Everything was great. And then I took the test and I freaked out on the test because I'm a crappy test taker. Mm. And I think, I think I still am. Um, And I failed it like flat F and I'm going, Oh my gosh. And then I take the second one flat straight up failed it. And, and I'm going, I need to, I need to pass this. Otherwise I'm going to have to retake it and it's going to screw up the whole deal yeah so long story short i went to the office hours of the professor and i said hey can you put extra weight on this on this test for me i don't know if it did or not but somehow i ended up getting a c in the class the thing about school for me was it was so freaking hard and there was no passion for me i just did it because i'm disciplined Mm. but learning to me learning is about what you care about and what you're passionate about when when you're learning it's it's just easy because you care about it i mean what what's your favorite You know. Yeah. What What is your favorite subject?
0: For me personally. Yeah. Um, uh, and if we're looking at it from a school standpoint, it was easily history, and it's not even okay. close.
1: Yeah. So you could spend hours and hours reading whatever as it yeah. relates to history, and Correct. you and it was wonderful. And you keep it, you absorb it, right? So yeah. for me, that that's why learning was was is still my passion. Yeah, I, th- uh, I think like there's. I
0: th- I think about that kind of stuff all the time. Like I said, history was easy for me, but man, you put me in a chemistry class. I can't be more bored. And it's not that I don't think chemistry is important or not. Like it's obviously important. I just can't care less. Um, Agreed. And I'm over here like forced to sit through this and quote, learn this. And, and I'm thinking, no, this is ridiculous. Why, why am I learning? I will, I will never use this in my life. I have never used anything I learned in chemistry class ever again. Um, so, you know, but that's an interesting, interesting concept because I've gone on my rant several times on this podcast about the Prussian educational system and how we're basically uh, creating a, a, a culture of, of mindless robots, which is what the school system was designed for. That's why it's so test-oriented mm-hmm. instead of teaching-oriented, yep. um, and, and it 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 takes somebody unplugging themselves from that to really allow themselves to learn. Um, I have read and I've written about this on, on the website, I've read an exponentially higher number of books since I've graduated college than I did during my entire schooling life.
1: Agreed. Totally. Me too.
0: Yeah. I, I think, what is it today? March 28th. I've read, I think seven books this year um, Yeah, on my own accord. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's just a, that's a whole nother conversation, but I, I wanted you to elaborate on that. Cause I think, I think that's really interesting. So um, Another question.
1: Yeah. You, you let, me, let, the, me let me toss Let uh, me toss something more it. toward that. And then you can jump to that question. Uh, one of the things that, that, so my, my daughters are enrolled, two of them, one of them's too young, but two of my daughters are enrolled in a full Spanish immersion school. So mm. uh, they're, they're learning Spanish in school and they're not learning any English. And so, Interesting. My, you know, everybody that, that isn't in the program, but is considering it is concerned that their child's not going to be able to learn English very well. They won't learn how to read and all these things. Okay. And first of all, that's just self doubt about not self, I guess it is, you could call it self doubt, but it's basically not believing in the unbelievable intelligence of children, of yeah. people in general, but especially children. And so my heart has always been to love to, for my kids to love themselves, love God and love others and love education. If, if I can help them do all four of those things, I'm winning as a parent. <laughs> Big yeah. time. And it was really, it's really been put to the test because of this program. And my eight year old, she, she needed to learn how to read, of course, cause she's freaking eight and you need to know, know how to read English by the time you're eight years old, at least to some degree. Yep. And so um, she would, we would give her books and we read books to her and everything. But what would happen is, and this is where I think learning is so powerful and why it, like history connects with you and, and other subjects connect with me and other people is because it's about questions. she, she would have these words that she didn't understand and she she would try to sound out the word like though (laughs) (laughs) or uh, enough or those stupid, crazy English words and then other simple things that we just say in normal sentences. And what I would do and what my wife would do is we just ask her questions. Well, what does it look like? What Mm. does it sound like? Have you heard that before? And we continue to ask her those questions. And very rarely would we actually pronounce the word for her or tell her what it is. We would read stories to her so she would hear them, but when she was directly asking us the question, we would just question her back. So you can call it the Socratic method, you can call it whatever you want, but I think that learning is all about questions. And you have a ton of questions about history, and I have a ton of questions about about people's personalities. Mm. right? And so I'm always asking questions about that, and I'm always engaged and intrigued by it because I'm curious, and so, that, that curiosity learns and questions are you know the, you know in the word question there's the word quest. Every time we ask a question, we're going on a little quest. It's a little adventure we get to go on. And every time you and I do that in any subject, it really is an adventure, and uh, super beneficial. Obviously, in the long run.
0: Yeah. So it, you got me thinking about so many other things. So my wife and I don't have kids yet, but God willing, uh, we will. And one of the things, so I, I speak obviously English, but also Serbian, which is my native language and then German. Um, cause I lived in awesome. Germany for seven years and my goal with my kids is I don't ever want to speak English with them ever. N- not because mm-hmm. I, uh, not because I think English is bad. They'll learn English anyway. They'll live in America. Yep. Um, but I want them to learn to think differently from an early age. And I was reading this, um, piece about children that are multilingual from an early age, you know what the number one thing that discourages parents who are multilingual from, uh, speaking to their kids in multiple languages is like young kids.
1: Some, something to do with like bullying or, or just attitudes about it from, no, actually, from other
0: people that, that is mentioned. But the number one thing was when kids mix words like young kids throw you four-year-olds when kids mix words in a sentence from multiple languages parents freak out because they think the kid's confused your kid's oh, not goodness. confused no. your kid just has a significantly broader vocabulary they just haven't figured out how to contextualize the vocabulary to each language yet yeah so so yeah. When, I, when i think about it in english it's a table in german it's a tish In in serbian it's a store it's the same it's the same thing. I just have three different ways of saying it. My yeah. vocabulary is
1: which, broader. Which is awesome because then when you think about things, you, have, you likely are going to be able to think about things with at least three different angles. Um, can I go on a side note here about that? Go
0: for it. No, this, <laughs> so, that's what
1: this is about. Go for it. Sure. So one of, one of the things that I do is personality assessments. I do behavioral assessments. I look at people's habits and their behaviors and I look at their thinking patterns. And there's, there's this combination of motivations. They're, motiv- they're called motivators. And there's something called a regulatory motivator. And there's something also called an aesthetic motivator. And what I've discovered with, with some of my clients is it's, it's not a majority. It's not even, it's, it's definitely a smaller minority. But when they have a lower regulatory mindset, which basically means the difference between seen in black and white versus seen in gray. So the people that have a lower regulatory see things in gray. They Mm. see a lot of options. When they're on the freeway, there's a lot of lanes of traffic, right? They see all these different lanes that they could be in. Mm. And then when someone has a high aesthetic, they are, well, let's say it this way first. When they have a low aesthetic, they're very practical and kind of boots on the ground. But when they have a high aesthetic, they think alternatively outside of the box, head in the clouds type stuff. And some of my clients actually have both of them where they're both, they're low on regulatory and high on aesthetic. Mm. So all of a sudden they see options in three dimensions. So the analogy is you're driving on a freeway and you and I, well, I don't know your personality super well, but you and I, maybe we see five lanes of traffic. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, there's five options of what we could do in this situation. They automatically on that first level see six or seven. Mm. And, and so then they have to try to explain them to you. And if you can only see five, it's difficult to kind of stretch yourself to the sixth or the seventh. But then after they've explained them to you, you kind of get those other angles. They then point up and go, did you notice the traffic above your head? And they're like, you look up, you're like, oh my gosh, all those are available too. So these people are really amazing because they they multiply the options, they multiply the, the perspectives that can be seen. And back to language, I think language really helps people do that because if you have three different ways to say table, then you think already in, in, that, in that kind of mindset of, oh, there's three different ways I can look at the situation. So those fo- I always find those folks with that wiring to be really fascinating. Um, they get kind of stuck because they see so many options. They're not sure what to do. Yeah. Uh, and then they're afraid to take action sometimes depending on the rest of their wiring. But It's paralyzing. Um, yeah, it can be. Other times it's super um, what it, empowering for them.
0: Yeah, I've, I've talked about this before where, again, another one of my regular rants on here. But for example, the news media. One of the first things I always do when a story comes out is I'll read a bunch of articles in English. Then I'll go read a bunch of articles on the same topic in Serbian. Then I'll go read a bunch of articles in German. Um, you'd be amazed how different the story is within the same language from different sources and then multiply times different languages, times different cultures, times different regions. And that's when you start realizing how much you're being manipulated and how much you're being moved into a nice little cog to fit wow. into the storyline. Shut up. Don't think we've thought for you. And yeah. it, it, it's so disturbing. And that's why I always tell people when I do coaching, when I do, Uh, when I, when I, I mean, even as a financial advisor with my clients, I tell my clients all the time, look, if you want me to just take the, take the reins and you just sit there for 40 years and then you retire, I'm not your guy. That's not the practice that I want. That's not how I work. I want to help you to think differently. You, your money in that example should not be more important to me than it is to you. Your plan should not be more important to me than it is to you. I will help be the conduit to get you to a certain point, but you have to learn to think on your own. Mm. And you have to start learning to see opportunity. Don't just take everything at face value. Everybody's got an agenda, everybody, good or bad. Learn to identify yeah. the agenda, learn to identify to think from different perspectives, and then the world, world really starts opening up to you. Um, so it's. <laughs> like, like this coronavirus thing and I know you live in Washington your wife's a, a nurse so you're like in the middle of it but reading articles from around the world I mean you would think like completely different things are happening um, and, and maybe they are so anyway sorry side rant um, I don't know if you want to add yeah. anything on to that
1: yeah I think to bring it home to kind of like the to you know millennial manhood a little bit here we tell ourselves stories too right? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're getting shoved stories at us, but we also tell ourselves stories. Um, I like the idea that, I don't, I don't really like this idea, but a lot of us have these false beliefs that have been written on our hearts, either by ourselves or by other people. Mm. And from those false beliefs, we tell stories. Yep. And so not only do we have to externally get rid of the false stories that are getting tossed at us or the, mis, the misdirection and whatnot, but it, internally we're dealing with that too. And you know, I think real men are able to take those false stories and and expose them to the light and let it burn up or whatever however you want to put it, but but they 're able to take those those false beliefs and rip them off their heart, rip them out of their life, and say no that 's not true about me that 's not true about what that person what that person said is not true about me. Mm. Uh, how I see myself is not that 's not true either, uh, and then put the real things the the accurate um, expectations of ourselves back into our heart. And, and then that, that really gives a, a much more true story of, of who we can be as men when we, when we do a good job of that. And and I think having other men in our lives to help us do that is really important because if we don't, then it's difficult to be called out. And we, we all need to be called out, right? When we're screwing up in relationships in business in whatever arena, we got to be called out and, um, if you don't have other men in your life to do that, then you, you're never gonna get called out.
0: Yeah, it's like the subheading of millennial manhood is confidence, initiative, persistence. That first por- person, portion, confidence, the biggest um, roadblock to true confidence is your ego. Yeah. And, and not being able to let go of those stories that you've told yourself or that other people have told, told you. Um, that's why I always say at the end of episodes, I'm open to compliments and criticism. The key word is constructive criticism. Don't just complain. You got to offer a solution.
1: Yeah. And specific compliments too, right? Don't just say, yeah. oh, it was good. So tell me what was specifically good about what I did, said, or intend to do, right? Like get it, make it specific. For yeah. Because that's actually helpful.
0: Correct. Correct. So what do you, uh, we've spent a lot on your, on your previous life, uh, <laughs> which I know segues into your current life, but what do you specifically do for a living today?
1: Yeah, so I help people get perspective. Uh, One of the main things I do is uh, I'm a coach and I'm a personality profiler. And so I help people get more aware of themselves and use that new knowledge to leverage it to powerful change in their life. And most of what coaching is about is about perspective. Uh, I've I've been trained in in two different schools and my training is all about getting out of the way of the client and creating a framework for them to work within that that you ask questions in. So my job is to to ask powerful, pertinent questions to people, so that when they're when they're done answering that those questions, they have new awareness. They have a new perspective that they didn't have before because they couldn't get outside of themselves. Uh, so I spend a lot of time helping people uh, with that. Uh, sometimes it parlays into productivity. Other times it turns into uh, business. Uh, situations with, with employees or marital situations, it, it goes all over the place because people are confiding in me and, and we're digging deep, but we're not, are it's not surface level. We're looking at the deeper things, uh, the values, the vision of an individual. Hmm. So how did you get into that?
0: Because that's a, that's not really something you go to It's something like you can get in a, get a, a, a degree from UCLA and uh, get perspective.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. Life, is, life, you know, gives you that degree. But um, I think, you know, obviously the Alpha is which I was referring to at the beginning, that was the name of the program or is the name of the program. That was a big piece of it. Uh, and then after I left California and moved up here with my family, I got into an HR job. Uh, I worked for a, a church that has 3000 members and there's a hundred employees. Oh, wow. So I was, I was the HR director with them for two and a half years. And they wanted a new personal development or professional, excuse me, professional development program. And so I started doing some research on it and I discovered the DISC assessment and a couple of other tools. And so I studied and got certified in that. And then I went and did the assessment on every single person in the organization and spent an hour with every single person in the organization. And as a result, I discovered some patterns. I continued to learn and read and explore this, I explored with them asked a ton of questions, and it really just, I fell in love. Like, I I really did. I've got several loves in my life, but that's definitely one of them. Uh, I just fell in love with with people's personalities. To be honest, before that exposure to that framework, I was probably a little judgmental. Mm. Uh, If people didn't think and behave in the way that I did, I thought that they were not stupid necessarily, but they didn't have it right, and it would never work out for them after going through a hundred assessments with people that were variously different from me, judgment has been thrown out the window for me, pretty much. I mean, I'm not perfect, of course, but for the most part, people just show up and they think in ways that are different or they act in ways that are different. And that, that really opened my eyes. And I realized that you put that with the power of coaching and asking questions and and you got a business because Mm -hmm. change happens when when you help people unlock the areas that they're stuck right Uh, you help them unlock their potential in that way at a client that um, she she works at a casino and she does business development there and she has to land events for the organization and we had gone through a bunch of coaching together and and like lots and lots of changes were happening in her life but one of the things that was happening is she was really grabbing a hold of this personality thing and it was so cool because she was talking to this representative from a monster mega tech company, let's call it. And um, she realized partly through the email conversations, the type of personality this, this guy was, and she immediately made an adjustment to that personality and landed the contract. Mm. And it was, it was multiple six figures, you know, contracted, you know, mul- multiple times they were going to be doing events at the casino. And it, and it was because of this, this tool and the coaching that we'd gone through. And, and that's, you know, I know that, that, that kind of veered off from your question, but, but this is the fruit of the conversations I've had with people. And it's one of those things where when you, you see that, like you've seen it when you see the, the mindset shifts in people that you're talking to about finances when all of a sudden they just quote, get it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, that's exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. and that's same thing with me you know they she got it in her own way right she got it and took off with it and that's exactly why i'm doing what i'm doing um and it's been up uh, you know i'm never looking back that's for sure
0: so so how do you go about and i know a little bit deeper than what you've discussed but obviously you left your job in hr and and started this practice of yours essentially cold turkey um how did you go about going and finding people to work with in this specific space? How do you go get clients?
1: Yeah. So the first client I got was actually the organization I worked for. Uh, They had, they contracted with me to, to basically redo all the assessments because there were so many, they were hiring new people and I had added a new tool to my tool bag. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a little side note, if you can advertise that you have a new tool and you already are winning over a client and you're already working with them or you worked with them and then you can throw in a new tool. That's, I mean, that earned me a ton of money because I just added one little tool that I knew would be really beneficial mm. to them. But anyway, so I don't. Um, yeah, so I got them as a client and then I asked for referrals from the decision maker at that organization.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: she referred me to, to a lady that's running a, a million dollar uh, construction company with her husband. And I've been working with them ever since for two years now. And, um, then I got referred by some other people. So a lot of it was asking for referrals.
0: Mm, and then people, that's key. Be,
1: Yeah. People being really generous about, about offering them. And then I started asking people if I could coach them I literally went out and asked people, I said, Hey, I would love to coach you. Not because I think you're broken, but because I think you're awesome and you're super motivated and you'd be a great fit for my coaching. And most of the people said yes. So, A lot of times you just have to ask, ask for the referral, ask for the opportunity. And if you get rejected, there's plenty of other people out there that can say yes. And the people that reject you may say yes in the future, which is exactly what happened to me a few times. So pretty much the short answer is I was fortunate enough to land that first client because I asked for it and then fortunate enough to get referrals And from there, of course, there's all those other little things you can do, but really it's shaking hands, having conversations and asking if I could coach the person.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love the hustle. I love, I love just going out there and and asking for what you want because half the time, you know, the reason we miss out on things in life is because we just didn't ask. Exactly. What's the worst that can happen? They say no. Okay. You move, you move on. And Uh, you
1: learn from that too.
0: Correct. It's, it's a, it's a constant um, you know, evolution and the way you think and, and the way you approach business and the way you approach potential business and, and repeat clients, et cetera. So, so who, I mean, and, and clarify this how you'd like, but are you bringing on new clients right now? Are you, do you work remotely? Do I have to be in the Washington area? What's, what's kind of the situation with that?
1: Yeah. So I, I work nationally. So I, I do work just from my home uh, some of my clients are local and I will go to them, but for the most part, m- my clients are uh, just online. Uh-huh. And uh, a couple of weeks ago I got two new clients and I'm talking to several different people. So I'm, I'm open to new clients for sure. The, um, the interesting thing about this downturn is I'm actually trying to offer my services for free uh-huh. to people that are in a position where they're going, I'm stuck I, I don't know what to do I need some strategy I, I need some help some support or I just need an ear to talk to someone t- to help me get perspective on this because I feel like crap about what I have to do with my employees or I feel like crap about my future um, and so yes, I'm looking for new clients that are paying new clients but but I'm really trying to offer my services. For free at this point, for mm-hmm. you know, limited time, because people right now they're not thinking, Hey, I want to spend a bunch of money for a coach, they're thinking, yep. I got to figure this crap out. Yep. But what they need is a coach, <laughs> yep. they need someone to walk alongside them that can think outside of their perspective. Um, and so, I'd rather do that than worry about getting paid at this point.
0: Okay, so how can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, I have a websites called dot Solutions.com. And uh there's a bunch of different ways you can you can get a hold of me through there, but there's a there's a form at the bottom to connect with me. And I also have a podcast. It's called Sage Mindset Podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's on all the other channels. And it's content that I've been sharing on here is on there as well. Dude, uh, I guess to... Go ahead. The other the other way to get a hold of me would be through uh just direct email, Kyle at Gillette dot com. Those are the kind of the my website Gillette Kyle at is my email. And then the Sage mindset podcast.
0: Okay. So I do have to ask you this. So with the Sage mindset podcast was podcasting, what you thought it would be was it better or worse. I mean, what have you learned from it?
1: Oh man. Podcasting is so much more than I thought it would be. It, to me, when I stepped into it, I thought, well, I, I just, I want to get my voice out there and maybe people be interested and who knows. Well, all of a sudden I found my voice as a result of doing a podcast. Uh, it, it's practice and in a way that, so hopefully um, people don't hear this as an insult, but um, when I'm doing my episodes, it's from things I'm learning or from conversations I'm having with people. And it's, it's kind of like I'm cheating because I'm taking mm-hmm. what I've read in books or what people are saying and I'm getting to really absorb it and study it in ways that most people don't get to. Yep. Because I have to represent that content to other people and i say re present in a way on that way on purpose because it has to be at the re again do it and present it in my own way and so there's a lot of work to that and then that just embeds that information into my brain so in a way i feel like that's cheating the system
0: yeah <laughs> in terms yeah. of learning <laughs> yeah no totally but, but
1: yeah it's been amazing. And I've met a ton of people all over the country because of the podcast, because I'm asking people to, to be interviewed on it. And it's been fascinating to, to meet the people, hear their stories and learn from their wisdom and their experiences. Uh, I, I will do this forever. Even if the podcast, like, you know, doesn't trend in a dramatic way, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it anyway. Cause it's just such a powerful medium of communication.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Kyle, this this is fun. Uh, we're running up on time, so I've I've got to ask the question that I always ask. Um, if you could go back to eighteen year old you, wide eyed and bushy tailed, you know, about to start surfing and and uh, hanging out on the beach and going to college, if there's one piece of advice you could give yourself at eighteen, knowing all that you know now and knowing all that you know about yourself now, what's that one piece of advice you would give yourself?
1: Make make more friends. Make more mentors, Ooh, is what I would say.
0: I like that. Why?
1: Because in this, in this world, like especially now, you know, if, if, if you are right now in this, in this current state of the world, there's a lot of lonely people. And that, that's because, unfortunately, they don't have a lot of great friends. Uh, even just one great friend can change someone's life, can literally save someone's life and you know i made good friends in, in college for sure but i would have loved to have made more right and then the second piece would be the mentoring piece i don't have it figured out and at 18 mm-hmm. you sure as heck really don't have it figured out and when you're 60 you don't have it figured out either so you know fortunately i had i definitely had some mentors in college and after college and still but i would have tried to surround myself more purposefully with mentors i got kind of lucky yeah uh, i was mentored for 10 years in that program uh, by the, the president of it. So I got kind of pretty lucky in that. But before that, those, that four year window would have been nice to have other men in my life mentoring me and, and speaking truth into my life. Um, so friends and mentors is, is what I would advise myself to do. All the other stuff falls into place because friends and mentors are what helped you get there. Cause we stand on the shoulders of other people, right? Whether it's business or relationships, we're really just standing on the shoulders of other people for our success and opportunities so the more friends and mentors you get, the more of that comes with it, and the more you get to pass it on to other people too
0: oh, and that passing on part is so important yeah for sure well, Kyle, it was a pleasure. I'm glad we got the chat this was awesome um, yeah thank you thank you for the opportunity for everybody obviously as always i will I will link you know Gillette solutions and his social media and things the way the we get in touch with him in the show notes. Um, As always, millennial-manhood.com. It's the website, info at mmcip.co. If you want to get a hold of us, compliments, constructive criticism, keyword constructive. As always, don't just complain, offer a solution. Um, And we'll talk to you guys soon.